Welcome to this edition of Gabrielle Dolan's Authentic Leadership Podcast. Join Gabrielle as she speaks to well-known leaders on authentic leadership values and storytelling. The aim of this podcast is to encourage you to embrace authenticity in both the professional and personal context. The stories and experience of her guests will be a wonderful catalyst for others to learn from. Welcome everyone to this live interview. Today I'm very excited to have on the program Genevieve Hawkins. Genevieve, I first met a few weeks ago and we had such an amazing conversation on all things storytelling and stuff like and leadership that I decided she would be a cool guest to have on our podcast. So welcome Genevieve. Thanks Gabrielle. Great to be here. <laughs> I'm hoping yeah. I never live up to expectations. If you say I'm exciting, that puts a bit of pressure on me, doesn't it? Oh well, if, if it doesn't, even <laughs> we'll, we'll put it down to it's Monday morning. So you know, yeah. no, one's, no one's at their best Monday morning. So we're all good. Hey, we um, like I said, we met a few weeks ago when I was running a storytelling training for the executive leaders at Coles, which you are one, and you introduced me. So let's let's before we get to your work at Coles, and also you're the author of a book you've just published this year, Mentally at Work. So that's that's exciting. I want to get spend a lot of time talking about that. But let's get into a few quick questions about get to know you first. So wh- where did you where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about your background. Oh, look, so I grew up in Melbourne, in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, in a place called Ngunnawadding, um, which interestingly enough, um, in Indigenous language means meeting place, which I actually think is quite um, interesting in thinking about what I talk about in the context of in connection, how important it is. But I grew up one of nine out in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, good old Catholic family. I was the eighth of those nine and had a pretty uh, pretty wild childhood, I think, although I don't know that my mother would like to talk to me, explain that as well. <laughs> Well, I I love um I love all the Aboriginal names to our suburbs like Nunawadding and and Kuirup. I mean Kuirup isn't that such a cool name out there? <laughs> hey, now I'm starting to realise why we got along so well because I'm one of eight. Um, oh, I'm one of eight children. I'm, and I'm, the sixth. I'm the sixth. So that okay. you know, down right. the you're down the, the other one. down the chain. So yeah, because we always kind of go when you're one and nine. I go, all right, where where in the chain did you come? Because what's what's the yeah. impact of being where you are yeah there was a really big gap between me and my older brother when my mum gave birth to my older brother both of them nearly died and so they mum was told not to have children again and so there's about a five-year gap and then um and then I came along and in quick succession my brother and sister so we were always referred to as the little ones the three little ones like even when <laughs> I was 25 it was the three little ones the three little ones you, you need to have to compare some notes perhaps with uh, my younger sister so being the eighth there's five and a half years between me and my younger sister and I thought that that was it I was going to be the last you know this is all fantastic and then five and a half years later this person comes along and I'm like who are you you've taken my spotlight away yeah and the last is always spoiled I I think my younger younger brother and younger (laughs) sister are the most spoiled a because you know the youngest son I think is spoiled and then the younger sister like she never got in trouble and our mum would go I'm just over it I'm just you know that's what my mum would say exactly the same parenting parenting for 20 years she goes it it clearly hasn't worked why why bother (laughs) <laughs> hey, so being one of being a big family, you, what was your first job? Were you sort of kicked out to do a bit of work early on? 
Well, so funnily enough, so my dad ran a cleaning company. So in fact, my first job was cleaning toilets. I mean, it was more than cleaning toilets, but I also say to people I was cleaning toilets because I think it's a good um, opener for a whole lot of conversation about the jobs that make a difference in our in, in our um, community. So he was organising to do cleaning for primary schools across uh, Melbourne, in fact, mostly Catholic primary schools. And so my first job was getting out there on a Saturday morning and going through and cleaning classrooms classrooms and toilets in primary schools so not very glamorous but um but I got excited because I could get some pocket money for that mm. can you remember what you got paid early on those first jobs oh, I never remember I don't remember what the rate was but of course it was all cash I got yeah. cash so it was never not in a bank account so I, I and I can remember clearly I was fascinated by um numbers and money from an early age because I remember creating a bit of a budget back even when I was younger going right okay how much money do I need because I want my mixed lollies each week and you know and then of course that that kind of progressed to going I'd like to buy my magazine and um and I hate to admit that I actually used to smoke when I was younger but it was like oh I get a packet of cigarettes for that but it was always about how much money could I earn to what it is that I would like to uh, spend and I think that that's actually one of the the key things that I think mum and dad taught us was this real respect for live within your means Mm. Um, and I mean, they needed to, there was nine of us. And so, but you learnt that real sense of understand how much you're earning and therefore what it is that you can spend. How do you save? How do you make sure that um, they would always save for anything that they bought? It wasn't like go borrow money it's or use credit card. I was like, no, be really conservative with them um, to that, to live within your means and be happy. Yeah, cool. My um, by the way, my first job too was working with my dad. He was a he was a ah. painter though, so I was about fourteen, and I'd go around, you know, helping him paint on on Saturdays. And I don't, it was always me. I don't know why it was my never my younger brother or older brother. And I think maybe <laughs> I my, my I was clearly a better painter. You were better painter, yeah. No, yeah. well, I think all of us in our family all worked for dad at some point in time, some for longer periods of time than than others. But I think it was such a good, um, I, I was, I'm a big believer in kids having a job, like at the point that they can get a part-time job, I think that sense of learning responsibility and helping others is really, really important. But I also found it fascinating and because and I see it play out in some of the work that we now do at Coles as well, is it's quite interesting sometimes people's attitudes to people who do certain jobs. And cleaning is one of them where sometimes it's really awful to see some of the changes in attitudes that people have when they look at someone and they're going, oh, you're just the cleaner. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm going, well, there are so many jobs that, that are needed across society to make society work and there's no job that's more important or less important than any other one. And we're all just human beings doing these jobs and we should treat people with respect. But I certainly had experiences when I was younger cleaning that I was either invisible or a or don't talk to you know that's the cleaner you don't talk to them which was really quite interesting growing up. Mm. So how do you think that's um, that's impacted the way you lead now? So you're the your your title you're in insurance general yeah manager. so general manager of Coles Group Insurance yeah mm -hmm. so and but don't ask me for a little red quote because it's not the going to say yeah. insurance. No, I was <laughs> going to say you weren't responsible yeah. for that, that little red quote. No. No, no, no. So I can't give you anything externally. I can do, inter so we look at all the internal insurances. So we self-insure for a range of things. So actually a fair bit of my work is in personal injury work because um, we have workers' compensation coming under my area and we also have public liability coming in under my area and we have the claims teams that manage any of those sorts of claims. But we also then put in place all of the other sorts of insurances that you need um, in an organisation this size, whether it be 
um, you know, directors and officers insurance or property insurance or vehicle insurance or all of those sorts of things we manage. So you you got a job you can um, build on your little spreadsheet you had when you were growing up. Around <laughs> how much do I need to put the away? Numbers right, that's right. Yeah. How much money do we have to charge you now for a claim where we might not pay it out for ten years time? Yeah. So we can have fun with that, but yeah. but also have fun with people as well. And I think that that's to you you know your question before about how do you think things that shape me. I think that. Um, and in fact, it's not just that job. I'd argue it's part of being one of nine. And I don't know how much you experienced this, Gabrielle, being the sixth, but I'd go in one of nine. I always felt that I belonged. I always felt that I was kind of in a tribe, but I was in a tribe in which, you know, my voice wasn't necessarily heard unless I spoke really loudly and interrupted others. Um, but you learnt the value of feeling a sense of connection. And, um, but also I think I learnt this thing of what else do I need to do to make sure that I'm noticed so I think that does influence me a bit now when I think about how I lead people is how do you how do you make people feel valued how do you make people feel a connected part of what you're trying to do and make sure that they all walk away each day going I matter for what I'm doing Mm. yeah I I often say that I got into storytelling being one of eight children and I realized really really early on that um storytelling was a great way to get um attention so being the six it's a really great way to do it hey we've got a we've got a it's sort of a question or a comment someone has um asked and, and we we are live so if you do have comments or or a question you want to ask Genevieve just fire it away uh we got Connor has asked that COVID has shown the importance of every role in society, and I think it's probably more of a or more of a comment. Thanks, Connor, but it, it is it's shown that, that you know those like the cleaners, um, you know they they were on the front line with so many things. What are you what are your so thoughts important. on that? And it's so true. I think that COVID has um, I think perhaps opened up for people how important roles so cleaners and also healthcare workers. I mean that you know there, there's such. They are some of the lower paid people, I was not the doctors, but the, the people are at that front, um, the front line of things that, that are doing such important work that aren't always paid that well, but actually play such a significant part in our society. So I do think that that's, we've given a greater appreciation perhaps for particular roles um, more so than others, but I think it's shone a light on some of those really important ones. Yeah, I remember I'd often, um, I was going for a run and you'd see the cleaners like cleaning, you know, just they're outside cleaning like, you know, railings and train Mm. stations and I remember running by them and just saying, good job, thank you, because you felt like you felt as they were doing a brilliant job that often doesn't ever get appreciated. Um, And I remember when we came out of lockdown, you know, been in Melbourne, we'd been in lockdown for four months and uh, when my cleaner, when my cleaner said we, we we're coming back to work, it was like, oh, my God, it was the best news I had ever. Yeah. <laughs> I do not, my kids and I agreed on that too with us as well. We got very, yeah. very excited when she yeah, came back. So. I, I, I did try to do little, you know, cleaning work bees every weekend but it didn't <laughs> really work out that way. Hey, talking about, um, we were talking about the, uh, the health workers and stuff and, and, and during COVID and everyone's talking about the strain of uh, potential mental health will have like, like the second um, pandemic. You've written a book this year called Mentally at Work. Tell us a bit how that came about. I, I assume it, that it's published, you already started writing it before COVID hit. I had. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Tell us us how um, a senior executive leader at uh, a big corporate like Coles working in insurance decides to write a book on mental health. (laughs) 
going, what's the connection? <laughs> like there are connections. And, and in fact, um, I, you know, I was thinking coming to this thought, you know, you're such a good storyteller, Gabriel. How do I make sure that I go, here's this story and it's really compelling. But in, in thinking about why I wrote the book, there's actually, you go, here's this series of events that led to a point of going, I think that there is something here that I need to, I need to say. And, and I might uh, take you back in that reflection to when I made my first communion. So I obviously said before I became part of a Catholic, um, part of a, a Catholic family. And my mum will laugh when she listens to this and go, I can't believe that you told this story. But on my first communion, and so here are all these young girls in these beautiful white dresses that were going down to their um, down to their feet and these lovely white strappy sandals and, you know, all looking beautiful that we had to do for our First Communion. And here was I in a secondhand um, dress that was just down to my knee and I could only wear my one good pair of shoes and that one good pair of shoes were bright red. So I wore my bright red shoes to my communion. And I remember that feeling of kind of walking in and going, oh, I feel different. I feel like I don't quite fit in. I've kind of, it's like I, I missed the memo of what you were supposed to wear. Of course, I didn't have a choice anyway. That was what I had to wear. But there were moments like that in my younger years in which I felt like I'd missed the memo. Like I was going, I feel like I'm not quite connected. I don't quite understand how the rules of the game are played here. What do I need to learn in order to try and make sense of this world and try and feel like I belong and connected? And I think that that kind of has influenced over the, earlier part of my career in trying to understand connection better and um, there were a few moments across the time so talking about those crucible moments where there are experiences for me that were really hard where again I go I think I've worked it out I've got to that next level and then the next wave of challenge had come through and I go wow where why is it that I can't connect with this person what's happened here how's it happened what do I need to learn from it and could keep seeing this pattern around how do we talk and how do we actually engage with each other. And if we can get better conversations happening with each other, it opens up the world for the sorts of things that we could do in the world and the problems that we could solve, but we have to get connection right first. So that kind of started bubbling in my mind over a number of years and I've come in and out of corporate and consulting, et cetera, and I'm thinking, oh, there's a book, there's a book in my head here and it's to do with connection and it is, as it kept evolving, saying, well, we've got to talk about connection in this context of mental health because that's what's our challenge is that the increased rates that we're seeing in anxiety and depression, underneath that is this sense of disconnection, of going, I don't belong, I'm not valued, I don't matter. And if we can create that, that can make a massive difference. And I fast forward then to the last few years. So prior to this role, I was in the, gen the role of General Manager Health, Safety and Wellbeing at Coles and we did some fantastic stuff there in bringing in a mental health program and, and really introduced that before it really was that common in the more corporate world of going, we need to really come in and let's embrace this and let's really look at what we can do to create um, a really great mentally healthy workplace. And I think part of that final um, impetus for me to go I really do need to get something down on paper it was actually a really really hard moment for me because I lost one of my team members to suicide and it was a completely out of the blue for me situation and when on the day that I was called to say that this is what had happened I was like that I can't I can't compute with that because out of anyone that I could understand across the large team that I had at the time this person was not someone who I had realised was struggling in any way, shape or form. And 
in fact, in further engagement with the family, it, it came, it seemed to have come across really, really quickly, which was absolutely tragic. But it really held me back into a space at that point of feeling completely helpless and going, this is such a challenging thing to happen. And how did I miss it? What could I have done differently? I need to, um, this is not great. Now, I think that's a fairly common response from people too in these sorts of situations of if only, if I'd only known this and could I have done something or what else could I do? And as I continued to um, digest, I think, all of what had happened and and all that I'd learned over my career to that point and then where I got to having kind of reflected through this process of going, there's there are things that we can do as leaders and it doesn't guarantee that we can help absolutely every single person but we have such a responsibility in how we can engage with our teams and help to be role models of how we look after our own mental health, but also how we engage to get people to look after their mental health and how we interact with each other that can build people's mental health that I felt this needs to get, I need to get this down on paper. And in fact, it was probably because my team said, Genevieve, you need to get it down on paper. They used to laugh as like I was Dumbledore from Harry Potter that I'd kind of they'd throw a problem to me and I'd like, ah, oh, I've got this example here. Let's talk about that. <laughs> and I'd pull it out and they're going, we need to get what's in your brain onto onto a piece of paper, which was kind of the driver. And I think that that by that stage, I'd moved into a different role. Demerger had happened with Coles. I was in a completely different role, but I've never stepped away from that sense of real drive and passion around mental health and what a difference it makes when you feel connected, when you feel like you belong, you bring your best self to work mm. at, um, or to any space and so that sense of going right back to wearing my bright red shoes as in first communion I go we need to create an environment where people belong so I want to get this out there um, yeah and is that and the um so that was I guess you'd been thinking about it and and, and that uh, tragedy was a catalyst for it is the and the, is the book aimed at leaders uh, to not only help them with their own mental health but to also help their team and how to deal with it is is that the what the book's yeah. aimed at yeah it is aimed at leaders. look I think that one of the things and I'm sure you'll appreciate this from having written multiple books that when I first started to go I want to get something done on paper um I was trying to write for way too many people and um, I ended up getting a, a book coach by the name of Kath Walters, who was fantastic in challenging me a bit about what was the way, what was the story I was trying to tell and why was I trying to tell it and who was I trying to tell it to. And this who actually was the first of the conversations we had about narrow it down. And in fact, it was narrow it down to one person, right for one person. Mm. And, um, and then if that happens to appeal to a whole range of other people, that's fantastic. But it was really targeted at people who were leaders, so people who were running teams or teams of teams who had some kind of inkling of going, I, probably, I think I need to do something here, but I'm not too sure what, then this book is really aimed at going, let me give you some tools so that you can think about how you can look after your own mental health to therefore teach your team some of these things that could get them to look after their mental health and then let's look at these two layers of one is the one-to-one -one interaction and how does that interaction build up or disconnect or disconnect people in the conversation. And then that final layer of as a leader, what are you doing culturally within this workplace and how does that influence whether or not that workplace becomes a mentally healthy workplace or not?
Mm, yeah, I love that. And I know, I know Kath as well. So she's she's obviously done a good job helping you get targeted on writing for one person. And that whole message around, you know, I guess as leaders, it is it is the responsibility to create connection, to create an environment where people feel they belong um, and not necessarily fitting in. Um, they might be standing out with the red shoes, but still belonging. <laughs> I, but still um, belonging, yeah. Yeah, but still belonging. I, so, again, it's, it's quite uncanny, our experience. I uh, remember at my communion, uh, my first communion, and the year that year they decided you didn't have to wear a white dress. So I was so oh. relieved because the thought oh. of wearing – the thought of wearing a dress, let alone a white dress, really, <laughs> like even, I don't know how old I would be, I would have been about nine or something. Yeah. And so my mum was a sewer and sewed, made, made most of our clothes. So I told mum that you don't have to wear a white dress. And she's going, are you sure? And I go, I'm positive. There's so many people that aren't wearing a white dress. <laughs> Knowing I was the only one. And my mum made me this blue dress with a white blouse underneath that had blue ladybirds on it. I still remember it. And my mother was mortified that I was the only, the only one not in a white dress. I oh. thought it was cool. I thought yeah. it was so cool that I was the only one. And at not one point did I feel embarrassed about that. And I, I think it must have been because, it, it, well, it would have been because all my friends didn't pick on me or laugh at me and they must have probably they probably all thought, oh, thank God you could do that. And um, <laughs> you rocked the ladybirds. You yeah, the I, rocked ladybirds. La I, I rocked the ladybird blue little <laughs> dress. Don't think I'd be rocking it today. But, but isn't that such a, a really interesting reflection, isn't it, about that difference between, um, you know, coming in going, oh, my God, I've got the red shoes and, I, like, I'm, I'm different and it feels um, not right versus actually where, where I actually think I've come over time and going, I'm different. And I'm loving that. And yeah. the ability ultimately to go, I am who I am and I'm going to embrace authentically who I am, um, which is different to others, I think that's really where you want to get. I mean, that's what I kind of really focus with my kids about, how do you just embrace who you are and yeah. don't, you know, it doesn't matter what other people say, you've got to embrace embrace who you are. Yeah. Hey, we got a we got a question from someone. Yin has said, "How have you adapted your leadership style to manage a distributed workforce?" Oh, that's a good question. Actually, I think that. Um, so, and I might even answer that in going because I think my leadership style keeps adapting, and I think that there's yeah. kind of the first part is distributed workforce pre-COVID, and there's distributed workforce in COVID because I think then I've kind of evolved again in recognizing where I couldn't do what I did before so I think my context my um what I was conscious of in a distributed workforce is nothing beats the face-to-face -face. so even though I can't be everywhere regularly how can I make sure that I have a rhythm that I don't get my diary so busy that I don't get out to see people because I think that time with people is really important and being able to have um like sit down and have a lunch with people and just have a chat and a laugh and because I'm a big one of saying if you can laugh together, then that just builds such a strength of connection and that opportunity to listen to people. Um, and I do think you, that... Can I ask you a question? Do you actually yeah. schedule that time in your diary? So a lot of people making time to go and speak to people, to have one-on-ones, to have lunch, um, to me the very good leaders schedule that and it's, it's part of leadership as opposed to I don't have time for that because I'm busy leading when that is leading. Isn't that, that yeah. <laughs> 
So the answer is I definitely, definitely schedule it in. And because if I don't, and if I don't schedule it enough in advance, then it won't, it's easy for it not to happen. And it's easy to find the reasons to not do it in terms of what you're busy with. But I think that that's one of the things around stepping back into, particularly, I think the bigger your teams get, you're going, what's my role? What is my mm. role? And and my role is not to sit there and solve every single problem because I can't solve every single problem. And um, But it is my role to make sure that the teams that I have feel like they matter and feel like they belong and feel like what um, they're doing is valuable to what we do more broadly. And so I think when you get caught up in, um, well, I'm just going to follow the numbers and I'll ring someone saying, great work for that, that's really good, but I don't know them and I'm not connecting with them, then I'm not actually doing the job that I'm paid to do. So, you know, some people could sit there and go, oh, gee, isn't that nice? You get to have lunches with people and you're going, well, it's not about nice or not, it's actually that's my role. That's what I need to do is yeah. create a space so that the team feel like they can um they can be connected in with me. And um, I think the interesting thing in a COVID world that I would I would do at times face-to-face, but I, I've, I think I've taken it to a bit a different sort of level during COVID is, of course, I can't get out there. We can't go and see the team. We would have, um, we would have what we call huddles. So having a huddle is a bit of a Coles thing that because you do it in the stores that you huddle around, like usually huddle around the fruit and veg area and go, right, let's talk about what's going on in the store today. And we have that ritual within Coles more broadly that teams get together for a huddle. And so in a pre-COVID world, our Victorian teams, and which was the largest of the groups, would all get together and have, um, have a huddle. And then the states would do the same thing. Now, once we were forced into a COVID world, we suddenly went, oh, oh. We, we could all do this together, couldn't we? <laughs> and so, in fact, that the the rest of the, the teams in the other states have said we've never felt more connected than during COVID because you've actually now opened up to a different conversation because we can do these sorts of things remotely. So I think that that's helped. And I think that the other thing that you kind of I've known but really got reinforced more to go, I need to do this more often, is how you share stories about yourself and you will well know this obviously because you you teach this as well but how much sharing stories about yourself opens up the relationship and I I keep coming back to saying if I want to get the best out of people which is really for me what a definition of leadership is is no matter what the role is wherever you are it is about how do I bring out the best in others Mm. Um, and if I bring the best out in others then I want everyone to sit there and go I've been heard, you know, I've been seen, I've been heard and, and I matter in, in what I do and I want to create that environment for them and part of that is actually being able to, um, so I've got some noise going on in the background here because I just love. That's okay. <laughs> I love. going alive. Oh, oh look, you, you're Genevieve, you, bre- you, bre- you know, you're wearing oh, red shoes to your communion, <laughs> you're leaving your phone on during a live podcast. What is it. going on? What is going on? I um, you just you were talking about the stories before, and I just yep. before I, I before I just want to close off on your book too because I, I assume you've, um, I know you told me you've used stories throughout the book to get your message across and have that have that connection. Where where can people buy the book? So it's called Mentally at Work. Where can they actually get it? Because I think there'd be a lot of people who would love to um get get their hands on it. So we can say at your favorite online bookstore. So right. it is. 
top raw distribution. So you can get it on um, Audible. So there's an Audible version, there's an e-read version and then um, paperback. So depending on which one is your preference. And it is literally, so it's across all of the um, the major suppliers that you can just go online. And even if you're wanting to go to, you know, like a readings or something like that, typically they'll go, well, we'll order it in. So it's not really sitting on the shelf. Do you, do you do the audio? Is it your voice? It is me doing the audible oh, as well. Well done. Yeah, well done. Yeah. I, I've never quite cracked that. I think, I think, I think um, my publishers, they think I don't have the voice for radio. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon it. I reckon it sound too much like a bogan. So anyway. yeah. it's a weird thing. I've got to say, it's a weird thing doing the audible. It took a bit of kind of getting used to sitting there in a, a sound booth with the headphones on, going, I don't know whether I really like the sound of my voice. But I have heard from people who know me or have worked with me, then have read the audible, or read the audible, listen to the audible, going, oh my god, it's just like you're sitting in the room talking yeah. to me. So. I kind of yeah. that, that's yeah. So I encourage you, Gabrielle, give it a go. Well, I think I, I did try to do it once. I was I remember I remember I was in New York in my hotel room, and they said if you want to do your book, you've got to send us in a you know like a three minute sample. So I was reading my own book, my own words, and it took about ten attempts to get three minutes out and I just went, oh my god, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do. This. I think if you, I think if I did it, I'd have to do it um like. I think I'd do it live and ad lib and just go yeah. off track. I think, I think oh, that yeah. would No, because that's the bit that I get in trouble with, right, because you, you're doing it and then they'd go, no, no, you just put a different word in there and, you're, and I'm going, what? And they're going, there was a different word. And so you had to stop and you'd then go, right, okay, all right, back yeah. to that sentence. See, I would yeah. go, well, it's my bloody book. If I yeah. want to change the word, I can say I what I want. want. Dan will change the word. <laughs> Look at us, you know, we're rebels from back in our communion, first communion days. <laughs> hey, um, what's, what's uh, one of the greatest challenges you have in your current role at the moment? One of the greatest challenges now? Um, you know, I'd, I'd probably describe a challenge that actually ha- has been a challenge throughout in different roles at different times with this. Um, and it is, I think, an ongoing challenge for any leader. And it's this idea of saying meet people where they're at, not where you want them to be. Mm-hmm. And I feel in, um, so I'm a, I kind of describe myself as a change agent. I think most of my team would say, you know, a fair bit of energy and passion around what we do. And I'm not one for coming in to hold a status quo I'm I'm one for okay let's have a look at whatever it is that that I'm working on and and how do we lead change in what's where do we get better what's the big difference that we can make and so and I mean for me here with insurance it was then setting up a new completely new function for the uh, organization but particularly in the context of things like the personal injury space in workers comp there's some pretty challenging things that you deal with in that and yet there is so much potential for what we could do differently I think across in cross Australia in how systems work in supporting people and not supporting people and everything there so I can get excited going here's these visions this is what we can do we can take on the world and all this sort of stuff and then and then people are just kind of just what <laughs> just <laughs> staring at you going oh, I think you missed the story that you know yeah. well in fact it's not even that I can I can tell the story that gets people excited and people go this is great but then there's this gap between this sense of what they'd like to do and what they're able or capable of and I think that one of the things that um that I see because it's a um it's my button that that gets pressed that I have to keep working on not to get pressed but it's people getting caught in that sort of without being realizing it being in that victim mode of going well it's everyone else's fault like I can't change because of this I can't do this because these people are doing this that and the other 
And it's that challenge constantly to go, how can we, um, how do I help to build people's capability up? So that says it's not about solving a specific problem. It's about going, whatever the problem that you're faced with, how do you step back from it and go, well, what it? So mm-hmm. let's have a look at this from a different perspective. How can I change it? What is it that I can influence versus what I can't? And let's, um, and let's try and move forward with it. And I think that that's become a lot harder at the moment because of COVID, because people are tired where, and I mean, me included, this has been a massive year, like a lots and lots of challenges for people. And when there is so much that's challenging in the day-to-day of I'm trying to manage my family, I'm trying to, you know, manage the household, I'm trying to manage whatever else might be happening in my extended friends or family and the challenges there, and I'm trying to manage work and it's hard and I feel like I'm juggling it and now you're asking me to think differently about something, um, that can be hard for people. Yeah. Yeah. What's, um, what's, uh, we're going to, I'm going to finish on a few quick fire questions, I think, <laughs> because it's, we're having so much fun. I could talk for a Oh, look, we could, I'm going to say, surely, surely we go, no, let's go live for like eight hours, right? And people go, <laughs> it's a marathon <laughs> yeah, of conversation. Yeah. And everyone's going, yeah, let's not, let's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's, uh, if you could change one thing about you, what would it be? You can't say nothing. Can't say nothing. Um, other than could I not have glasses anymore? Like can oh, I not? I'm okay getting older, but I prefer not to wear glasses. How <laughs> annoying <laughs> those glasses. I take them off and going, I can't yeah. see. Um, in, so in lockdown, how annoying with lights on and they're all glary and then when you've got to wear masks and they all fog up. It's like, yeah, no, so I'd love not to wear glasses. And, you know, if I go two rather than one because, you know, no, I do accept myself. I could say nothing, nothing I accept who I am. I would love to be a better dancer. That's kind oh, of I I, oh. I can't do it. I can't. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know, there's a there's an easy fix for that. Just drink more. Lessons? Oh, drink, drink more. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, actually, that's true. I do a dance when you drink alcohol. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm an amazing dancer. After you can let loose. Let loose. Yeah, I think. Oh, I think, and that's the main thing. Um, do you have a favourite quote? Oh, do you know what? I have so many favourite quotes. I have. Um, uh, I have quotes all over. I have sticky notes in my study that remind me of the things in diaries, et cetera. Um, and I know I did warn you about this because you asked me about a favourite quote and I said, can I be really painful and not actually give you a quote? But actually I think you said it might have been more like a yeah. poem or something. Genevieve's got a poem for us. Anyway, this is me wearing my red shoes. Read, read your favourite poem. I, wearing my red shoes prattling, being slightly different, it is not just a few words. And um, we're all looking for that presence in another which can shelter us, adduce our stories, make us feel through their engagement that we are necessary in this life. At some point, we must come down off those waiting stairs and begin to act as if we are necessary. Whether it is reflected in our world yet or not, we must assume our own importance and begin to give the gifts which we possess and which are desperately needed. Where you ache to be recognised, allow yourself to be seen. Mm, I do love that. I do love that quote. And it's just um, act as if you're necessary and be prepared to give the gifts you have because we all have them. We all have gifts. And sometimes we just need to get out of our own way and go, you're valuable. You can provide something have the courage to do it and I think it you know going full circle it's almost the response you know in a professional setting and even in a personal setting it says the responsibility of leaders to create that space where people um, are encouraged to do it and feel okay yeah. to do it and, and we don't I think we don't 
put a mu- as much effort into that as we probably should. It does. But it, I think, you know, you go back to that, if we're, if our roles are leaders to bring out the best in others, then actually it's how do we create space? How do we create the right space for others to bring their gifts to the table? Yeah, excellent. I'm going to end on three very, very quick personal questions. Not overly personal. Don't get too serious. What's the, one meal, what's, <laughs> what's the one meal you love cooking? Oh, oh, so many things. Um, but tell you what, French, um, I got this French cooking lesson when I left one of the organisations and it's a three-course meal and it's my favourite meal out. So there's a salmon tartare for an entree. There's a, um, a chicken cooked with apple cider for the main meal with mashed potatoes and beans followed by chocolate souffle. And when you have all three together, it's like, oh. Magnificent. God, that is like, that is, you have upped the ante on that question. <laughs> that is amazing. Best best going away present ever. Right. French, Probably, French you know, I ask, I ask a lot of senior executives, it's like, you know, poached eggs or something. Like <laughs> what's your, um, what's your favourite 80s song or artist? Oh, do you know how much I love the 80s? So many oh. good artists. Um, I reckon maybe Billy Joel. There's a lot oh of Billy Joel. We are like twins. We are. <laughs> I, I have every single Billy Joel album, and I went and saw him live in Madison Square Garden last oh. March. Do you know? So one of my friends um, for her fiftieth, she was going over to New York to see him live because she said he, that's only where he performs, and now he doesn't yeah, travel anywhere else. Performs, yeah. And it, she was going as COVID hit, and so it got all cancelled. But I've just, you know, given I now know that that's the only place I'm going, right, I'm going to put that on my bucket yeah. list. You know, he he does do it in a couple of other places in the US, but he, he made a he made a promise, I don't know, years, years and years ago that he said he would play Madison Square Garden once a month and as long as people still oh, come, wow. coming, he would keep playing. So he, before COVID hit, I think he'd smashed, it would have been like, like 80 concerts in a row that he wow. comes and does every month. And um, the few previous times I've gone over to New York, I'd missed it. I missed the window. And, um, you know, he's not getting any younger. So this, right. um, the last time I went, it, it was around, I, I was there for about two weeks. I went, surely, surely it's sure. going to fall into that. And it did. It did. Yeah. Thank God. Right. Because it's uh, on my bucket list. Because he's yeah. an amazing, I mean, he's an amazing musician. I mean, yeah, there's, it, yeah, he's just extraordinary, I think, in what he's done. Mm. Mm, I love it. And he, you know, and got, he tells stories through his songs all the time, yeah. all his songs are stories. Final question, if you could give one bit of advice to your 20-year-old self, what would it be? Live your life in those red shoes. Oh, it's going to say, like, embrace the red shoes. Love embrace it, love it, love shoes. it. Just live, live, like, live. That, you know. That just be your quote. Embrace yeah. the inner red shoes. Embrace those oh. red shoes. Rock the red shoes. And, yeah. And uh, just Dorothy. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, can I tell you, I now own a pair of red shoes. I remember going with a friend to buy a pair of sandals. wasn't buying, planning on buying red ones. And um, she was with me and she goes, check out the red ones. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to wear it. Did you know my red shoes? Do I can't wear red shoes? She's going, no, seriously, get them. And they are one of my favourite pair of shoes. I rock there the red shoes. I got so, red yeah. runners. Red runners. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Thank you so much, Genevieve. It has been such a pleasure talking to you, your insights around leadership and um, mentally at work. So, again, yes, if, you, if that's a book, if you're a leader, I, I reckon that's a book you want to be um, putting on your list, mentally at work. Thank you so much for being part of the program. Really appreciated you coming and joining us today. Thanks, Gabrielle. It was lots of fun. 
We hope you have enjoyed this podcast in the Authentic Leadership series. Visit the resource library on Gabrielle's website to access a collection of free material on business storytelling and thought leadership.